Well, we are uh, in this series in Jonah, a familiar story with a um, kind of a maybe unfamiliar point to some degree. What is this story all about? And as we started this series a couple of weeks ago, really the, 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 the point, kind of overarching theme of this book, if you remember, is that it is all about God's mercy, that unmerited favor, that um, graciousness, that kindness that we are showing even when we don't deserve it, or more importantly, maybe stated is, it really shows up particularly when we don't deserve it. That's the nature of mercy. It doesn't show up when we deserve it. It really shows up when we don't deserve it. That's the nature of mercy. That's the nature of grace. That is what makes the gospel so beautiful, right? That is what makes the gospel so beautiful. Remember, as we looked in, in Galatians, a while back, we, we kind of surmised the gospel in like three, three points. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus won. And the reality is, is none of us, including myself, deserve Jesus at all. None of us deserve Jesus. By the way, if you ever think about this, and, and, and maybe don't think about it too much because it can kind of get depressing or maybe a little worrisome, you and I don't even deserve to breathe right now. We don't even deserve to exist right now. The very fact that we are sitting in this place today, the very fact that all of us are able to take breath in and out, and the reason why that we, our hearts beat, and more importantly, the reason why we give it no thought as to the reality of the fact that what our bodies are doing right now is unbelievable. We deserve none of it. I don't know about you, but I have tried and have been trying really, really hard in my life to have a posture of gratitude, of gratefulness, and Really trying hard. I'm not obviously there yet at any point. Um, but for me to, to approach everything and every person I come it's just, thank you, Jesus. Everything that I have, thank you, Jesus. I deserve none of this. None of this. Um, I, I, even, I even thank Jesus for all of you. I deserve none of you. I, deserve, I don't deserve this church. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve anything. I have done nothing. And hear me on this. I have done nothing to deserve this. Nothing. I am not that good looking. I am not that talented. I am not that gifted to deserve any of this. And if there's ever a point in my life where I think what I have is because I've worked for it and because I've earned it and because it's mine and I get to do whatever I want with it, I have lost all sense of grace, mercy, and God's giftedness on my life. And I never want to get to that place. And yet it is so easy to get to that place. It is so easy for us. And I think myself as an American, I work for what I have. Let me just, I, I love the fact that in this country we get to pursue whatever it is we want to pursue. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, if there's a responsibility on our end, whether it is to pay taxes or to help be mindful of those who are, who are less fortunate, that sometimes our attitude can be, well, you know what, they made a different choice. You know what, it's because of what they did that is the reason why they are where they are. And that may be true to some degree, but it may not be true. Either way, let me just say this. No one is successful in this country out of a vacuum. No one. Jeff Bezos is not the wealthiest person in the world because he did it all alone just isn't possible. No one is successful in a vacuum in this country. In other words, the reason why people are successful 
is because of the graciousness that God has bestowed on them by also putting in place systems and people and environments by which they could realize where they are today. That's the same with me. I think the same for all of us. Amen? If we don't understand that, we are going to have problems with this book of Jonah. That's why I'm sharing this with you this morning. If we don't understand God's mercy, we are, not going, to, we are going to be like Jonah in all of this. And here's the thing about God's mercy. Is that oftentimes, it is not the default setting that we as followers of Christ always want. You, you know what I mean by this? Maybe not. Let me share with you what I mean by this. Um, sometimes I think as Christians, we want to be the default setting for God's judgment. Oh, Jesus, let me go in there. Let me just go in there and smack them around, metaphorically speaking, of course. You know, because we're brethren, we're non-resistance. We don't use violence at all, okay? So metaphorically speaking, oh, Jesus, let me be the instrument of your wrath. Let me just go in there, Jesus in the temple kind of mode, and just take out that whip and get cracking. Right? I think there are so many times that Christians have wanted to be instruments of God's wrath and God's judgment that we forget that I think, and hopefully we'll see this today, that God's default position isn't wrath and judgment, although that is a part of who He is. More importantly, though, His default position is mercy. Throughout this entire story of Jonah, we have been seeing that mercy at play. There, there could have been any moment that God could have looked at Jonah and said, that's it, I am done. Boom, game over. Instead of being swallowed by a fish, he could have been eaten by one. I think it's really important, the distinction there, right? Swallowed is very different than being eaten. Okay? He was swallowed and not eaten. Okay? That's really important. God could have said, yeah, no, 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 no. We're not going to do it that way anymore, Jonah. I'm done with you. You had your shot. That's it. I'm done. I have a default setting in my life, and it's not a good one. My default setting, and it's an accurate trait. My grandmother had it. My aunt has it. I see it in some of my other family. The default setting is this, is when I'm done, I'm done. If I reach a certain point and I'm done, I'm done. And sometimes that surprises people. Because you know why? Sometimes, for the most part, I think I'm a happy, nice, wonderful guy. I'm friendly. Right? I love it. And then all of a sudden, if, if, if I'm in a situation where it is tough and I've given my all and nothing has changed and I've done the best I can and nothing has changed and the situation has resolved, I'm done. And then all of a sudden, someone sees a different side of me. I'm not proud of it. But that is my default setting. That is my default setting. You know what I'm grateful for? That's not God's default setting. I want to share a couple of things about God's mercy and why it makes it so hard for us to understand it. I want to start with Exodus 33, verse 19. I'm starting off right with Scripture this morning. It's beautiful. The first time we kind of hear what God's mercy is like, Moses asks God a very specific thing. Moses and God have been with each other for a while now. They've been talking with each other, and I wondered what that relationship was like, truly, where Moses could talk with God and God with Moses, and they had this unique, beautiful relationship that outside of Adam and Eve, I'll be honest with you, I don't, and outside of Jesus, I always got to throw Jesus in there, um, <laughs> just, just the way it is. 
I don't think there's another character in the Bible that had as close of a relationship in the way that at least it's described as Moses had with God. You know, where they, he could spend days with God. I mean, like 40 plus days with God and, and not have to worry about food and not have to worry about rest. Or, now, I'm sure that was all provided for him, but just that unbelievable back and forth and where God wants to smite the Israelites at points he, he, he seems to have had it. And Moses steps in and says, no, 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 God, don't do it. But, you know, we think, well, does that mean God was done? No, there's other theological points going on that I'm not going to get into today. But nonetheless, that it's just unbelievable. But Moses finally asked, hey, God, you know what? After all this time of talking with you, I've never actually seen you. I want to see you. You know, we were singing songs this morning about God's glory and wanting God's glory. That, that's what glory is. It's God's presence, that Shekinah glory, that unbelievable brightness that you know you have seen God when you have experienced that glory, His presence resting on us, that you walk out of this place and said, you know what, I met God face to face. Moses wants that encounter. He has not had that encounter. In other words, and out of all those times that God has been with Moses and Moses with God, not once has Moses actually seen God. And finally he says, God, I want to see you. And out of that, Moses hears the following from God, and it's Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And he, that being God, said this, I myself will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. In other words, sometimes some of your versions may say mercy in substitute of compassion. Um, It's the same thing. You know what makes God's mercy so hard to understand? They're having fun. And by the way, Tom is with them, so you know they're having fun. The Pied Piper, okay? <laughs> the Woo Man, that's what I'm going to call him from now on, the Woo Man. Um, not Woo Man, Woo Man, okay? Um, here's the thing that makes God's mercy so frustrating, particularly for those of us who should know better. What makes God's mercy so frustrating is he gets to show it to whom he ever wants to show it to, and he will show it to whom he desires to show it to. And guess what? Those of us who follow him, we don't get to pick. That ain't right. That ain't right. You know what the problem with Jonah was? He wanted to pick who he wanted to show mercy to. God said, no, no, no. Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. Yes, those Ninevites. Yes, those people who have caused you nothing but harm, who have done nothing but completely terrorize the Israelites, and not only the Israelites, but have completely terrorized those around them, that have captured them. And then when they have captured them, they've done unbelievable, horrific things to them. And not only that, they wanted to make sure that that would be remembered. And so they did drawings and wrote things about what they would do to these people so that it would be remembered for generations and generations. Yeah, those Ninevites, I want you to go to them. And I want you to preach mercy to them. Oh, you know why we disobey? You know why Jonah disobeyed? There's reasons why. Obviously, we're fallen and sinful people. There there are more nuanced reasons why we disobey. One of the reasons why we disobey is when we think we can do a better job than God can. Jonah thought, oh, God, you got this one wrong. Let me help you out here. Just, by the way, if you stop and think about it, in what ways have maybe you thought, maybe God, I can maybe do a better job here than maybe you can. We may not want to admit it, but I think there are times that, oh, God, you don't know this person like I know this person. Uh, let me bring you in. Let me give you a little heads up here of what's going on here to the situation. 
Seriously, right? That, that was Jonah's issue. Jonah thought, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait, God, um, I got this one. You really don't understand what these people are like. So let me, let me just take over from here, right? Uh, let me do this. That, that's one reason why we disobey God. Here's another reason why, and this was also another reason probably why Jonah disobeyed God and went the opposite direction. Not just, the, he, he tried to go to the ends of the known world at that point, to the west as opposed to the east. Nineveh was to the, Nineveh was to the east. You know, where he was headed to, at least trying to get to, was to the west, as far to the known world as he could get. The other reason why Jonah disobeyed, and maybe this is another reason why we too disobey, is when we disagree with God. Not that we think we can do a better job than God can, but then all of a sudden the picture that we have of God, this way that we have pictured how God should act and how God should be, all of a sudden we're confronted with the fact that he's not that way. He doesn't fit into our boxes. He doesn't fit into our makeup. By the way, that's idleness. God will have nothing to do with that. He will destroy our idols in any way that we think that this is the way God is, this is the way God acts, is oftentimes the way we think he should act and behave. And then all of a sudden we're confronted with the reality that that's not the way he does it. He doesn't fit into our world. The point is we are trying to fit into his. And when those come into conflict, what we think God is and how he is and how he should act and what he really is and how he, how he really does act come into conflict, we will most likely disobey. And say, yeah, no, I'm out. Not going to do it. We will default, rather, to other settings rather than the merciful setting. The Apostle Paul kind of takes that verse that I just read for you out of Exodus and he expands on it. And he says this. Uh, I don't have it written here, so let me go to my Bible. I thought I had written my notes. So let me just talk a little bit longer while I you know, casually go to my passage here, and that way all of a sudden I show up as though I meant to talk this long and then be able to read the passage to you. You see how that works, brothers and sisters? Here's what it says. <laughs> what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? I mean, all of a sudden, if we believe... That also God says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy to. Maybe the other question that we ask is, well, God, are you not a God of justice? Come on now. Paul is asking the same thing. He's asking the same thing. Far from it. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will have show compassion on whomever I show compassion. That's the, the verse he says. And then he goes on in verses 22 to 24, and he says this. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, rather endured with great patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? Guess who the objects of wrath prepared for destruction are? Us. Instead of looking at us as saying, oh, judgment time. I've waited for this. I think sometimes our, the way that Christians view the end times is that Jesus will come and say, okay, everybody out of the pool. Judgment time. Yeah, okay, whatever. Right? That's not exactly how that works. Rather, what, what Paul says here is beautiful. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, that we think that, man, God, make your power known, and that is, let's, let's see some of that wrath. Let's see some of that fire and brimstone. Let's see it. Bring it. Oh, be careful what you wish for, brothers and sisters. The wrath that he shows to others, he could very easily show to us. And he says this, but rather showing that he endured with great patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so.
to make known the riches of His glory upon objects of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. You know what God is interested in more than anything else? Is not showing His power, but showing His glory. He is more interested in showing His presence than He is in showing His power. You know what we're most interested in, I think, as Christians? We're most interested in God show your power more than your presence. Show your power more than your presence. No, no, no. God wants to show His presence more than His power. That sermon will preach. That sermon will preach. I mean, that is beautiful. And He says this, namely us, whom He also called out only from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles. That's Mercy, brothers and sisters. That's what Jonah struggled with. You know what Jonah wanted God to do to the Ninevites? He wanted him to show his power, his wrath, his judgment. Do you know what God's default setting was and is? To show his presence. That's his mercy. That's his mercy. Any questions about that? Not that I would answer them, but... (laughs) Man, that is a beautiful picture. That is, a be- that is the God whom we worship. That is the God whom we serve. And that is the God who we're going to see today calls us to go and do the same. I said this so many times. I will say it again. If anyone thinks that the life of a Christian in following Jesus is a smooth, easy, wonderful life, one of two things is happening. One is they're not telling you the truth. And or, two is, they haven't really dealt with sin and brokenness starting with themselves, their expectations of Jesus, and all of that stuff that comes with it. Someone once said this, and I don't know who said it, but said this, two things in life are infinite, the stupidity of man and the mercy of God. Let me say that again. Two things in life are infinite, the stupidity of man and the mercy of God. So God's default setting today, as we have learned, is His presence, and the way He shows His presence is by mercy. Then the points that we're going to look at today, and we're only going to look at four verses in Jonah today. Four verses. That's it. We ought to not be surprised by the points I'm going to share with you today. In fact, we not, should only not be surprised by them, but rather we should actually be like, well, Dan, I know that. And you know what? You're sharing you know, nothing new with me. That's great. I hope that's the case. But more than that, what I hope that from today that we're going to see in these four verses is that I hope that these points and what these four verses share will rest deeply in our hearts and that our default setting will not be wanting to see God's power, but rather... For God to show his presence. If God wanted to show his power, he wouldn't have sent Jesus as a baby. It's not the way he would have done it. God was not interested in doing that. He was interested in showing his presence. What this world needs today, I hope that we'll find out, is not God's power. It needs his presence. It's what it needs. So, let's take... A look at these two simple points at how this default position plays out. God's presence in wanting to show mercy, not only to us, but to others. And the first point of the, is this. It's God who gives you and I a second chance. 
One of the ways that God's presence plays out in our lives through his mercy is that he gives you and I a second chance. Just as we're going to see here in Jonah in these four verses of how he gave him a second chance. Let's take a look at the first four verses. I'm just going to read the first two here in Jonah chapter 3 and it says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Huh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Now, remember, at this point, Jonah has been in a fish. I wonder when this came to him, you know, again, when God said a second time, now go. Was it just after he got spit up and he's on the beach and he's lying there, face down in the sand, you know, just like, oh my gosh, breathing for the first time some fresh air, seeing and experiencing the warmth of the sun, hearing the lapping of the waves, whatever else, was it at that moment when he's still stinking that all of a sudden God says to him, now, Jonah, let's do this again. Let's try this again. Get up and go to Nineveh and proclaim what I'm going to tell you to proclaim. In other words, Jonah was given a second chance. And remember, mercy, the way it is shown, isn't everything that we think it should be shown. Sometimes mercy looks like affliction, but it is merciful affliction. Jonah has been mercifully afflicted, not because God wants to show his power, but God wants to demonstrate his presence in Jonah's life. Let me say this, brothers and sisters. Some of you may be going through some affliction right now, and I want to just share something with you. It is not because God is angry or upset or wants to demonstrate his wrath and judgment to you, but rather what God, I believe, wants to do in your life right now, and I'll tell you why in a minute, why I believe this, is he wants to demonstrate his presence. He wants to demonstrate his mercy. He wants to say to you, brothers and sisters, I love you. I care deeply about you more than you could ever possibly know, as he, I believe, is communicating this to Jonah. And what I want you to do is get up again. You might be on your knees. You might be flat on your stomach, metaphorically speaking, today, coming into this place. Man, from the week you've been through, just exhausted, tired, you have, you've just faced enormous afflictions, whatever they might have been. And by the way, the difference between Jonah and Job, we've started this before, Jonah caused his own affliction. By the way, we have to be honest, there are sometimes things we do, things we say that cause affliction. We're responsible. That's this case. I'm not talking about anyone of you here who has experienced things that you did not have any responsibility for. I'm talking about those of us who we know we did wrong and we are flat on our face because of it. I'm so grateful that God in that moment doesn't come to his power and say, well, how you doing? Flat on your face, huh? Well, let me help you out here. Digs our face more into the mud, into the sand. How's that feel? That feel good? No, no, no. He demonstrates his presence and says, get up. Let's try again. Our God is a God of second chances. And, Mo, and Jonah here has been given a second chance. And you know what is so amazing about this story? Is that all the way up until this point, Jonah has been showing the very mercy he is called to show to others by people who do not worship God. He was showing mercy by the sailors. Whom the ship he was on that he was trying to get as far west as he could to Tarshish, that all of a sudden now he brought them into his problems and all of a sudden instead of throwing him out or killing him or harming him, they tried the best they could to not do what he said they ought to do was throw him overboard. 
Instead, they tried to get to shore and they couldn't do it. And it's only after that that they threw him overboard, but not without pleading with God, oh, please, Jesus, or God, do not, do not, please forgive us for what we are about to do. We do not want to do this. We want to help this man. We do not want to harm this man. Let me just say this, and this might be troubling for some of us to hear this morning. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, guess what? I have some news for us this morning. As much as we know about God's mercy, and as much as we know about God's love, and as much as we know about God's judgment and God's plan for this world, and as much as we know Jesus Christ, we don't know enough. Sometimes, and this is the irony, is that non-Christians can show us God's mercy even better than Christians can. That's whacked, but it's true. (laughs) But it's true. You mean, Dan, God can use non-Christians to show his love to Christians? Absolutely. I got some news for you, brothers and sisters. Do you know what one of the most evangelized countries in the world are right now? America. Do you know that there are missionaries being sent from other countries to this country to share Jesus? Wait, 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 Dan. I thought we were a Christian nation. I thought we had this Jesus thing down. I thought we knew everything. Yeah, apparently not enough. I think some of those other countries are going, oh, America needs Jesus. I think after the year and a half, I think they're really looking at us going, America really needs Jesus. Unbelievable. Let me just say this. Have you ever encountered someone who didn't know Jesus but acted more like Jesus than those that you know who actually follow Jesus? Yeah. What Jonah learned from this is that those who didn't even worship God were displaying the very mercy Jonah was called to go and show those who didn't worship God. That's the irony of this story. We can learn things from non-Christians. And I wanted to share something with all of you. I look at some of the things that non-Christians are doing in this world today. And sometimes I'm ashamed, absolutely. But more than that, I'm embarrassed. Because we as Christians should have been doing those things way, way longer than they have. When I see in some ways non-Christians caring better for the poor, caring better for those who are marginalized, caring better for those who are ostracized, caring better for those who are in trouble, who are in need. There are non-Christians who treat those people better than Christians. Shame on us. We need to be swallowed by a fish. We need to spend a little time in God's mercy. Jonah needed to be reminded of the fact that, oh, by the way, Jonah, I'm giving you a second chance. By the way, Jonah, you have been shown mercy from those who do not even know me better than you could have ever shown mercy to others. And you should have known better. By the way, Jesus was always angry at who? Who was Jesus almost always angry at? The religious leaders, those who should have known better. Rarely, if ever, was he angry at the sinners who didn't know. Be careful, brothers and sisters, when you want God to demonstrate his power. Oh, okay. I'll demonstrate my power, but you won't like it. You won't like it. So Jonah is given a second chance. And Jonah now all of a sudden is given a second chance. And I want to ask you this question. How many times have you and I been given a second chance? In the moment when we have messed up, 
when we have disobeyed, blatantly disobeyed God, that He has given us a, a, a second chance. And even more importantly, how many times have we forgotten the chances we have been forgiven? How many times have we forgotten the chances we have been given? Jonah will soon forget this. Hard to believe, but he will. He will soon forget this, but get this and understand this. God gives you and I a second chance. I think of people like David, King David, who was given a second chance. I think of people like Zacchaeus, that short little guy who was a tax collector who was so eager to see Jesus, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. By the way, there's more to it there, but that's an incredibly embarrassing, debasing thing for a person of him of his stature to do. That's how desperate he was to see Jesus. And Jesus didn't look up at the tree and say, Timber! <laughs> and kill Zacchaeus. He rather said, Hey, come on down. I'm going to have lunch with you today at your house. He didn't look at the woman caught in adultery and say, Give me the stone. Let me join in. No, he didn't demonstrate his power. He demonstrated his presence. Those people were all given second chances, and so are we. I think of the prodigal son, who when the father runs to his son out of two reasons why. One, because of his love for his son and wants to embrace his son, but two, to protect his son from being taken over and killed by the village people. Who would they have done that because of the shame he brought to his father? He runs to his son and embraces him. He doesn't demonstrate his power. He demonstrates his presence, his mercy powerful this is the god whom we serve he has given you and i second chances and this god who gives you a second chance guess what also gives others a second chance let me say that again god who gives you a second chance also gives others a second chance so verses three and four this is what jonah says so jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city. Let me just rephrase that for you in the Hebrew. That phrase in there is, you know, in the English we say an exceedingly large city. The Hebrew phrase, or another way of saying that, is to say a city great to God. And I do mean big G God. In other words, even a city as sinful and as fallen and as broken as Nineveh still belongs to God. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters, to you all today. You look at this world today, and we might think, where is God here? How could this be God's world? I want to just share with you today, as a reminder, all of this is God's world. We just have our fingerprints on it. This is God's world. There is not a stitch or an area that is not belong to God. You may think of the worst places in this world today the most sinful broken places and i want you to think of this a great city and they're huge cities i want you to also think as well as that those are cities great to god they're important to god there is not a single part of this world that does not belong to him and i love the way that that is phrased here even though we couldn't express that in the english as well is that nineveh is a city great to god it is not just simply a great city it's a great city to God. He cares about this city. He loves this city. He cares about the inhabitants of this city. And so it was so large, it took a three days walk. Now there's some 
disagreement about whether or not it's a three-day's walk or it's as huge as it is or if it was really a diplomatic mission that Jonah, you would take, it would be common for someone of his stature to go there and spend three days there, regardless of how big the city was. There's debate about that. You know what? It's not the point of the story. It just gives scholars and theology people a job and pay. Okay? That's all it, yeah, really at the end. It doesn't matter! That's the point of the story. Well, was it a three days journey or was it a three day visit? Yes. Move on. <laughs> let's take a look at the Hebrew and let's parse this out. Great. Let me go take a nap. Verse four. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk the first day. And he cried out and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be over or another way to say that word overthrown in Hebrew is either overthrown or turn around. In other words, what Jonah is giving is not a prophecy, but a warning. Hey, Nineveh, you have 40 days. Either get your act together or suffer the consequences. Now, here's the interesting thing. The message was well received, as we're going to find out, and there were many reasons why. But it's interesting here that this is not a prophecy that Jonah is giving. It's rather a warning. Turn around or be overthrown. Turn around or be overthrown. The Hebrew word can mean either way. That's his message. In other words, Jonah didn't come to demonstrate God's power. What did Jonah come to demonstrate? His presence. And when God demonstrates his presence, he demonstrates his mercy. He demonstrates his mercy. By the way, that is God's default position. And the reason why we can know that is I want to read for you several passages in Scripture throughout the Old Testament and New that talks about God's default position of His presence and as a result, His mercy. Listen to Isaiah 48.9. It says this. I'm going to go through these rather quickly. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. He's, by the way, talking to Israel. Jeremiah 36.3. Perhaps the house of Judah will listen to all the disaster which I plan to carry out against them so that every person will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin. Ezekiel 18.23 Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he would turn from his ways and live? Ezekiel uh, 18.32 For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Ezekiel 33:11 Say to them, as I live declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then should you die, house of Israel? 2 Peter 3:9 The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you hear these verses? Do you hear God's default position here? Do you think God wants the wicked to die? No. Why? He made them. He created them. They're made in His image. He loves them. We may want them to die, but that is not God's desire or His heart at all. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to die. But that was not God's desire. He doesn't want to see the wicked die. He rather would see the wicked repent 
and live. He begs people, repent, repent, repent. Please, come back to me. You know why I sometimes think some people don't want to come back to God? Is sometimes, I think, first of all, the way that we as Christians behave. And secondly, the message we share. We're all about God's wrath. We're all about scaring people out of hell. I get it. But maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way instead of showing and wanting God to demonstrate His power, let's be more about His presence. And let's be merciful. Let's show mercy. Let's give people second chances. Let's give people an opportunity to once again repent and to live. Let's give people an opportunity to understand that, you know what, they don't have it all together. And by the way, the way that this can help us is, by the way, remembering the second chances we have been given the times we have messed up, the things that we have done, and God has given us a second chance. We have been forgiven. There are pastors who have done unbelievable, who have been divorced and everything else, and guess what? They get to be pastors again. And that's a wonderful thing. And yet, you know what the irony is? Is some of those pastors turn around and level things against others as though they can't be forgiven. Oh, you need a reminder. Oh, you need a reminder of God's mercy that he showed in your life, you need to show it to others. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this in closing. Let's stop looking for opportunities to be instruments of God's wrath and judgment. And rather, let's pray for opportunities to show God's presence, His graciousness, His unmerited favor, His kindness, His mercy. I wonder what kind of response we might get if we were serious about doing that. Amen? Pray with me, please, because we need it. I need it. We all need it. Jesus, we confess to you this morning, out of our selfishness of our hearts, that we have desired in so many ways to be instruments of your wrath and judgment. Because we think we know what's right and wrong. Because we think how things need to be done and how things ought to be cleaned up and taken care of. Jesus, forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for trying to take the spot that you and you only can hold, Jesus, and that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, I am reminded this morning that you sit on a throne, not of judgment, but on mercy. I think of that mercy seat. Out of all the thrones that could have been there, out of all the thrones you could have sat on, you sit on a throne of mercy in the, judge, in, the, in, the, in the mercy seat. I pray, Jesus, that you would forgive us for those times that we have acted in ways that we have wanted to demonstrate your power and not your presence. And in doing so, Jesus, we have hurt others. We have hurt the kingdom. We have hurt you. Forgive us. Father, remind us of the times that you have shown us mercy, the countless times, even the little times, and I pray, Father, we would know that what you desire more is your presence to be made known and not your power. Help us to be your instruments of mercy. And may people respond to that more than anything else, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.